Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialise in women's health and the menopause. There are multiple ways that diet and lifestyle can support you through the challenges of midlife. And my latest book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with all my best nutritional advice to help you tailor your diet to your menopause symptoms. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Happy New Year, everyone. New Year, new you, they say. But is there actually anything wrong with the old you? Probably not. But we're often very self-critical. Rather than making a whole load of radical resolutions that won't last more than a week or two, today I'd like to focus on small, consistent changes that can reap big benefits as you transition through menopause. And I've just the woman to help us with this, because I'm chatting to the brilliant Amanda Thebe, who's the most practical, pragmatic and relatable menopause champion. And she's made a material difference to thousands of women through her work. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Better You, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. We need optimum levels of vitamin D to absorb the calcium which keeps our bones strong and healthy. And that's why a supplement really is a non-negotiable for women in midlife. Vitamin D also plays a key role in supporting immune function, protecting against infection, and it can influence our mood and mental health too. I'm a big fan of the Better You Vitamin D Oral Sprays, which include products suitable for all the family that are very simple to use and with a delicious peppermint flavour. Discover their full range of vitamin and mineral sprays and their wonderfully calming magnesium products, which come as lotions, bath salts and skin sprays, by visiting betteryou.com forward slash THM, where listeners can get 20% off at checkout using the code THM subject to terms and conditions. So that's betteryou.com forward slash THM plus the discount code THM, which stands for The Happy Menopause. Nice and easy to remember. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to introduce you to Amanda Thebe. She's a fitness and women's health expert with nearly 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. And she's the author of the best-selling book, Menopocalypse, how I learned to thrive during menopause, and how you can too, which is her story of how she was trapped in the perimenopause rabbit hole and how she got out of it. She's a bundle of energy, positivity, and wisdom. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Amanda. It's so good to be here, Jackie. Finally, the two of us have mutually followed each other for a long time. So I'm really glad that we're getting to sit down like old friends. <laughs> Me too. I'm a big fan of your work and I know that the listeners are going to really benefit from this. So very excited that you're with us today. But before we go into all of that, let's find out a bit more about you. You know, what's your background and, and how does it lead to where you are now? Yes. So here we are, both of us speaking about menopause. Who would have thunk it? Not me. <laughs> Uh, like I never had dreams or passions about being this menopause advocate, you know, educator, whatever it is we're calling ourselves these days. Not not your childhood dream then? No, not my childhood dream. <laughs> 
I, I definitely am one of those people that really embraces change. I love things that happen that change and keep me on my toes and stuff. And a lot of people don't like that. I get that, right? But for me, you know, I never really knew what I wanted to do when I left school. And um, I didn't go to university. I didn't go down that sort of route. I feel like I was in that generation where, you know, it wasn't a, a, a foregone conclusion. Like I, so I left school with, I, I can't remember nine or 10 O levels. And I remember going to my careers advisor and saying, you know, what should I do? And he was like, go and work in a bank. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and work in a bank. And that was sort of what we, I was just told to do. I never even considered going to further education, worked in a bank, hated it, then went to work for a utilities company, then went to work for IBM. And so my I was in that um, time of life where my career path, it was really based on grit and good work and showing up. And, and I got promoted quite quickly, ended up having a big team of people underneath me in IBM. So I had like that sort of like path of, of a career for me. Um, but in the meantime, I came from a background of fitness, doing martial arts as a kid. I come from a part of the northeast of England where you got to do something, otherwise you're just walking the streets and, you know, potentially getting into mischief. Alongside my career path that was going in the tech world, I, you know, I've done it all. I've had the leg warmers on. I've had the American tan tights. I've worn the thong leotard. I've done aerobics. I've, like, qualified to teach aerobics, step, spin. I worked for Schwinn for years, touring around Germany, like, introducing um spin cycle to to the masses um i've done oh god you name it then i did my personal training you name it i've done it so when did that swap from the sort of ibm professional background that you mentioned earlier were you doing some of this alongside or did you oh, go from one to the alongside. other no i used to go to work and then go to the community center and teach three or four classes and i like i don't know i just did it and and you know like um you know, you go where you are in your life phases. And when I was in my 20s, I just felt like I could do anything. And so I just did, right? And it was important to me and I enjoyed it. And it was like my passion. So it was my hobby, essentially, right? But, you know, um, then... A lot of energy, though. It's a lot of energy to do yeah, all that. A bit, a bit annoying, you know, like this, you've always got, <laughs> we've always got that friend, haven't we? I don't have that type of energy anymore, but I've still got a lot of energy and passion for exercise. But long story short, um, my now husband... Um, decided he wanted to do his MBA and he got into a university in Boston. And so we'd only been dating a year and he went, do you want to come to Boston with me? And I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. And so we did. We went to Boston together and I couldn't continue my career with IBM. I couldn't get a visa, all of those things that go against you when you're trying to sort of set up in the yeah. US and I wasn't married and it was all very complicated. And But I was like, you know what, I'm bored of this now. I, I've like I'd just exhausted myself with them like it was just mundane working for IBM like I didn't really mm. get any joy it was just a job right so then we lived in Boston for two years I had my first son and then we moved to Toronto and I was in Canada for 15 years had another son and so I sort of just like did my own thing like entrepreneurial type things and eventually ended up leading to me like taking the fitness um, education that's now like three decades old mm. um, and and then taking clients on I mean I have nutritional um, qualifications I have personal training qualifications and so doing all of that and it was really fulfilling but I sort of did that at the same time that perimenopause hit me Jackie yeah and so I was training all of these clients and it was just 
draining me, even though I was getting a lot of joy out of it. And I personally wasn't doing well. I was really struggling. And so that sort of is why the fitness led me to the menopause conversation, mm-hmm. because I was just living it, right? It was lived experience. How was it affecting you? What were your symptoms? My story is sort of quite similar to most people's. And in that symptoms presented themselves and they didn't make sense. They didn't feel hormonal, mm. right? Yeah. So I was doing some type of a fitness class. I think it was a boxing class. And when I came home, you know, when you've just over-exercised and you feel a bit spent and you're just like, oh my God, I'm knackered. And, and But you don't feel like you can recover from it. Well, it was just like, it just felt like that initially, but then it right. took me to my bed. Then it gave me vertigo. Then it had me like throwing up and I'm like, holy crap, what on earth's going on? And it literally felt like I'd lost my equilibrium. Right. Um, and then it re- resolved itself, but then it kept occurring and it kept occurring over a couple of months and wasn't resolving itself. And so I then went to my doctor and just said, something's not right. And he I was in Canada, good healthcare system. He just sent me to a neurologist. And then that was the start of me spending two years in a healthcare system that honestly was trying to work out what was going on. What kept saying to me, you clearly aren't well, but we can't find out what's wrong. I had MRI scans, CAT scans, you name it. I even had this thing where they took me to the ear, nose, throat department and induced a balance, like induced vertigo into me. They squirt water into your ears and they tip the table up and down and they literally try and make you sick. And and at the end of it, the the nurse literally said, oh my God, you look terrible. But the the results are like, there's nothing going on. Like, yes, I'm fine. And it just was heartbreaking. By the time I went to my gynecologist, it was nearly 18 months, two years in, I went for some type of like, you know, well- wellness you know my pap smear and Mm. stuff like that and at the end of it he sort of said to me you okay and I just started crying and I just was like no like I feel like I've lost like two years of my life and and by this time like deep 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 depression as well like and it wasn't just circumstantial depression it was depression because of the Mm. declining hormones clearly and and he said you know your symptoms are very clearly migraine with aura and you know, that's treatable. Your depression's treatable. By this time, I'm also having incontinence. That's treatable. And he's like, this is perimenopause. And I was like, what? What's perimenopause? And he went, are you having any hot flushes? And I'm like, would you just stop? Because I was getting really angry. I was like, I'm 42 years old. Why are you throwing these words at me that don't make any sense? And so that was the start of me falling down that perimenopause rabbit hole. And honestly, the sides were so slippy, I couldn't get out of it. You know, it just was like, it was, it was like in a, in a vortex symptoms just kept coming like you and I, and every other woman, woman listening to this, it started off with two or three symptoms, but then I, I probably have ticked every symptom on that list, you know? And it just was like, are you kidding me? It just kept giving yeah, in, in the yeah. worst way. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you you describe this really well in your book, actually. So that rather brings me neatly to the book. Is is your experience? Is that what inspired you to to write the book? Just thinking you wanted to share that so that other women didn't have the same issues. Essentially, but it sort of was a bit of a roundabout way of getting there because, as is my life and approach to everything, I did start writing about it on my website. I had a blog at the time and I was just writing. I think I won my first article was like, this is the shite that nobody tells you about perimenopause. And I just did a brain dump and I was angry and 
it sort of exploded and people were like, thank you so much for writing that because I see myself in this. And one of the things I realized, Jackie, is how isolated I felt as soon as people started to respond. And I was like, oh, it isn't just me. This isn't me just being that person. You know, there's always someone, isn't there, that gets it worse than others. And I'm like, is that just me? Yeah. And I realized that it wasn't just me. And so I created a Facebook community called Menopausing So Hard. Nothing to do with Davina, by the way. It's been around for like five or six years. And um, the Menopausing So Hard community just started talking. And I just was like, oh, my God, I realized that this is an essential thing that women really want to hear about. So then I just started reaching out to anyone who I considered an expert in the field and just said, talk to me, tell me everything you know. I want to know. I want to share. And so essentially the book came because I'd built up a body of work after doing my own research. And when I say my own research, I don't want that to sound cliched, but I mean, I do have some expertise in the fitness and nutrition world. And so I went deep into that world to find out what studies had been done with menopausal women, what we know, what needs to be changed, what the physiological um, impact of menopause is and of aging on our body and then the medical side as well and so I just gathered this body of work pulled it all together and just wanted it to be like the best your best friends or your best mate's guide to menopause like very easy yeah. to read because some of the books out and there it is read, yeah it is it's very it's really accessible I think one of the things that I admire a lot about you is that you are really clear <laughs> about what you think and you take no nonsense let's put it that way um if you think that people are out there coming out with stuff that is either not true or or not evidenced or not helpful so what do you think are the biggest myths around the menopause so hard hey so you look and you see like i did a post today that was all about inflammation because the latest thing is that i saw know, that yeah, and the latest thing is that there's two specific diets that I'm referencing in there. When we're looking at menopausal women who have been told they have to eat an anti-inflammatory diet, I just want menopausal women in this case to stand back and go, why? Why? Why are you telling me that my body is riddled with inflammation? Why are you telling me I need to buy your diet that tells me that I can only eat these foods because it's going to cure me of whatever it is, whether that's weight gain or menopausal symptoms. Like, and so it, like, it's, it's so arbitrary when people throw around words like inflammation and toxins and detoxes and stuff, it usually doesn't come with a lot of validity. And if it does, it's been extrapolated to the point where it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And so if you're somebody that really struggles with inflammation one, how do you know that? Is it a medical condition? Cool. You're covered. You've got your medical like supervision. You're doing that. For you and I, Jackie, how would you even know that you were inflamed? What does that even mean? That's really one of the issues, isn't it? Because there's so much out there now. There are so many influencers out there. There are people who are sharing these things and scaremongering. And I think it's really important to remember that the body has got its own systems of balance, homeostasis it's called, and that's all about putting things back into balance. And so your job, all we have to do is is eat a balanced diet, eat a bit of everything. What I get really impatient with is this sense of removing major food groups. Uh, and I think of all the times in our life, we shouldn't be excluding stuff because 
We need to give our body the tools to do the job. And if we do that, if we let it get on with it, it will do it really nicely. If we start tinkering with it, that's where it all goes wrong. It's exactly that, right? And so it's like taking a tiny little bit of truth and then just making it into more than it is. And so like this homeostasis that you're talking about, we know the body needs to have an inflammatory response, right? It's important it it's it's it helps us like repair it helps us grow like it's important that the body becomes inflamed but not chronically like not long term and the and the ways to manage that are always nearly always the same the balanced approach moving often managing our stresses and improving sleep wherever possible and all of those things yet you know a, a decent amount of common sense is is like not as well received as don't eat this and don't eat that. And typically it's carbohydrates that are like pulled into this like um, like yeah. conversation. And it's, I don't know, I just get really frustrated for women. One of the red flags that I'll say to women is that if somebody is selling something that's broken and they're claiming to fix it, there's typically either a program, a diet or a supplement at the end of it. And so mm. There's your red flag right there. Like they're 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 using a narrative to play into the coffers, right? And so, um, and it's another one that I see all the time out there, Jackie. And I'm I'm really frustrated about this. Is the continuous glucose monitors for menopausal women? Seriously, and it's micromanaging our health in a way that I don't think is helpful. I think it's literally a gateway to disordered eating. It's a way to moralize yeah. food, good and bad. I don't know. I just don't think it's necessary. What made the most difference to you, to your own sort of health and well-being on the menopause journey? Once you'd realized what it was, wh- where did you go? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think when you and I and others sort of who have got this more well-rounded approach to menopause talk about solutions or toolkits or whatever you want to call it, I think I call it a toolkit in my book, it's has to be a multifaceted approach so you've got the pharmaceutical angle you know you've got women that find that uh, menopause hormone therapy is the game changer for them and and it really can put it's almost like a restoration like of their life back to them you know women who have literally not been participating feel like they can again and I love that for them you've got women that don't do well on hormone therapy at all. It doesn't matter how many different options they try. It doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. I'm one of those. And then there's women that can never take hormone therapy. At least we know if they're suffering, there are other pharmaceutical options they can consider. And I definitely recommend all women um, look at the medical prescribing guidelines and the consensus, like the NICE guidelines in the UK. I don't know if you pronounce it yeah. NICE or uh, you do, yeah, yeah. The nice guidelines, and um, they pretty robust, and you can print them off and take them to your doctor if you want pharmaceutical help. Um, I don't typically recommend supplements unless there's a gap in your nutrient um, approach to food. You know, sometimes like vegans, vegetarians lack some basic vitamins purely because their dietary approach can't fulfill them. Um, There are some supplements out there that I think are worth considering. Your vitamin D, calcium, Mm. omega-3s, potentially a multivitamin if your diet's sort of like lacking a little bit. But I don't think taking multiple and hundreds of pounds worth of supplements are necessary. I think it's... I agree. I think I see sometimes women come to my nutrition clinic and they've, I, they've got this list 
of things they're taking. And once I've had a look at them, I realise that they are spending an absolute fortune. And I say to them, well, why, why are you taking these? And they don't actually know. And they've sort of acquired them bit by bit. And before you know it, they're, they're, they're rattling with all these, these supplements, many of which are actually kept counteracting each other because there's either too much of something in one that's knocking out what's going on in the other or they're massively overdosing on a single nutrient because they haven't realized it's in four different things and you need to be careful with this stuff it's they can be incredibly therapeutic but that's when you are given the right support the right guidelines because you are in a state of of deficiency otherwise you do need careful and show respect exactly it can just be super super expensive but that's a choice the choice a woman can make herself i just think it's just worth having the conversation to say do you think you really need them is there any way you can look to get that in your in your diet like fiber yeah. Don't, you don't How need to. You, you do typically yeah. don't need to supplement fiber unless you unless you're um, not eating enough fruit, veg, and grains and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then the big rocks like the five keystones of optimal health of your exercise, your nutrition stress management, sleep quality, and then the mindset, like how we talk about changing. And I think that to me, that's the one of the places I like to start with all of this, Jackie, because. To me, it was the most impactful. Maybe it's because I came with all of this knowledge about nutrition and exercise. And I was like, well, sometimes I can't access that because I don't feel well. Sometimes I don't want to eat well Mm. because I feel like shit. Sometimes I don't want to exercise because the fatigue is so overwhelming. I can't even get off the sofa. So how, but then how I deal with that in the moment is really important because I think one of the hardest things for women is dealing with this change, trying to, I don't need, you don't need to be positive the whole time, but you do need to reframe this. You do need to look at how the fact that the body is smart, it knows what it's doing. It's going through a transition. Mostly for most women, when they get through the other side, things definitely calm down and life can sort of go somewhat back to normal. And I think that, you know, having these hard conversations with yourself, putting value back in your life, like knowing that you're sort of like, good enough, worthy enough. It doesn't matter that your body's changing shape or your skin's changing. All of these things in the long term don't matter. What matters is how you approach this, right? Working with your body instead of against it. That brings us rather neatly to the fact that it's January and everyone's in this whole new year, new you phase. Is that the way we should be thinking? I mean, is there anything wrong with with the old us? It's quite a problematic term and I'm pretty sure I've used it though. I think we all have. How many regrets have oh, you got, I know, Jackie? I, have I mean, I've said, I've said it all. Look up some old blogs. It's definitely there. I don't think I've ever said that fat is just a sweat crying or anything like that, you know, but there's some really ugly exercise tropes out there and this whole new year, new you, whatever it is. Um, it, I mean, it can be motivating for some people, but we know the idea that resolutions typically don't stick in around about the sort of um, eight to 12 week mark is most people haven't stuck with their resolutions. And I'm a huge proponent of behavioral change. I've uh, really spent a lot of time digging deep into it, working with it myself personally and clients as well, and um, looking at small habitual changes that are going to be stickable. And so like for somebody who wants to make some radical change in their life, sometimes small changes doesn't feel enough. Some people literally want to go cold turkey and have a black and white approach to, to health. 
actually, that's my husband and my son. And it doesn't matter how much I talk to them about this easy approach to health, they don't want to do it. And that's fine. I understand that we're all different, but the majority of people and most women will find that consistently sticking with small changes reaps bigger benefits. And it can be something as simple as committing to doing a 10-minute walk every day. Actually committing to it and sticking to it. And five out of seven days a week, you do that, right? And then you'll what typically happens is when you've done that for four or five weeks, you're like, okay, well, that was do- that was doable. I've got a win. I feel good about that. You know, I've actually stuck to something and feel pretty amazing. What's something else I can add? And And it might seem a long, slow way of making change, but it's how things stick. It's how we yes. how we thrive as we age. It's how longevity is promoted by these small lifetime lifestyle changes. And they're not radical, though, right? They don't they don't sell. Yeah. But they also don't set you up to fail. I think one of the things we struggle with as the midlife woman is this inner critic, this sense that we're not good enough, we're not managing. And so if you do the bite-sized chunks, if you do the, okay, I'm going to do the 10-minute walk or I'm going to get to bed early every day this week or I'm going to think about having green vegetables every day or whatever it is that you're giving yourself as a little task, there's much greater chance you'll achieve it and you're not going to go back into that, that vortex of misery where you think, oh, I couldn't even do that. So it's important not to set yourself up to fail, isn't it? Yeah, and, and one of the things I would really love women to do And it's really hard, right? And I'd love to know your thoughts on this, turning the tables on the interviewer here. But like, (laughs) I really would love that women would take the focus off losing weight and put the focus on improving their health. Because I think personally, when I see, say, someone starting to strength train who's never done it before, and then six weeks later, I check in with them and they're literally, they've turned their life around because they feel capable, they feel empowered, the knock-on effect of doing these three 30-minute workouts a week has meant that they've started looking for protein in their diet and increasing their fiber, maybe going to bed a bit earlier. Like, I don't know about you, but I just feel like when you change the focus about why, your why, you can really sort of see better results of your, your overall health. Definitely. I think it's much more important to think about what's the quality of what you're putting in your body rather than worrying about, you know, counting calories, thinking about losing weight. Because counting calories just means you could have a large bar of chocolate for lunch instead of something that actually gives you fat, which is going to support your heart health or help your body build hormones or support your brain health or protein for your strength and your muscles and your neurotransmitters. And so starting to think about what's actually in the food, much in the same way as women who had children often think more carefully about food at that point, because they think that what am I giving the baby? Well, it's time to think about what are you giving you? And a lot of women still aren't very good at self-care. But I think if you can start to make that mind shift towards thinking about the quality of what you're having and the way it will help you become strong and well as opposed to just thin that's a completely different ball game yeah it's completely that I love that and I think that um it's it's a little bit of a a scab that you need to keep picking and, and I do go on and on and on about it but for me it was a bit of a game changer it, it removes a lot of judgment and and self-love self-loathing from a women's argument because I I know that women look at themselves in the mirror and don't like what they see. 
instead of looking in the mirror and seeing what they they can do what they're capable of how far they've come and and it really can just uh, that small conversation can be um so impactful um and also knowing that as we age we have so much that we can do that's in our within our control because i i particularly see this in the uk and i'm not trying to like throw anybody under the bus here but you know we there's a very prominent message in the uk about hormone being a sign of deficiency or almost a disease-like state which I find really problematic Mm. when I hear women saying menopause is a long-term female hormone deficiency it's it's actually quite triggering for me I because our body is meant to go through menopause it doesn't mean it's easy and it's not easy neither is birth Right. You know, like we don't need to suffer. Really do what you need to do to help yourself through this. But when the body is in postmenopause, right, yes, the estrogen protective factor means that we are at risk of some diseases as we age. The same is true for aging as well. But that's not a foregone conclusion at all. Like just because you've gone through menopause doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's, heart disease, stroke diabetes you know it doesn't mean that what it means is that you're at an increased risk which means that you need to take control of your health and the yeah. and the lifestyle factors that we've just touched on briefly literally are the best ways to mitigate all cause mortality exercise is considered the number one way to reduce risk of every disease that exists yeah, yeah. that's so true i think one of the things that strikes me forcibly, the more I, I read the research, is that nutrition is really important. I, I am a nutritionist. That's what I do. But what I'm really aware of is you can't do it all with food. You can't do it all with food. You can do much, much, much more, actually, with the exercise and building that strength and reducing the risk of chronic health conditions from from cancer right back to, to diabetes and, and osteoporosis. So it's, it's a hugely important area where we can all take control. Yeah, and it's interesting because at the um, International Menopause Society this year, I had two colleagues that went from Canada. And for the very first time, rather than it just being a medical conference, which it is, by the way, so that usually the focus is very much on where the medical research is. Yeah. There was a whole ton of talk about the importance of sleep and how that impacts our health risks. The importance of managing our stress from like MRI scans showing how mindfulness can literally change the shape of our brain and help us cope. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is a known treatment for menopause symptoms because it changes the way the brain functions and it takes a long time right it's hard and it's not quick but so we know the impact of all of these lifestyle things exercise and nutrition and there was a huge focus on that for the international menopause society and people's minds were blowing and I'm like over here going yeah but in our world we've been talking about this for decades we're just (laughs) finally meeting in the middle somewhere right and honestly I believe that that's the way to look at menopause is interdisciplinary approach to menopause management because we're all so very different and if uh if you want to make well so essentially if you know all of these things or you have an understanding of these things it's knowledge right knowledge is education education promotes advocacy agency autonomy it means you get to make a choice 
So yeah. it's and essential. that's incredibly yeah. important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, your book Menapocalypse talks about the four hacks of menopause, and we've touched on a lot of them now. Yeah. So I'm really urging everyone to go out and get a copy because it's a it's such an empowering book. So where can people find it, and where can they find out more about you if they want to? understand more about your work so a couple of different resources so first of all amandathebe.com is just like my repository for everything and there is a an opportunity to download a resources guide there which literally i've tried to gather global resources of the prescription guidelines how to find a doctor what we know from the research and it's just easy to access information so mm. you can pick that up there you can find my access to my instagram facebook um, all of those, I have a podcast similar to yours, Jackie, um, where I just try and get valid people on talking about, you know, different aspects of moving through midlife to old age, right? It, like, I just want the conversations to happen. I'm also involved with a company called Naya. It's a startup company. It's based out of Canada, but it hopefully will have a global reach and the, there's different aspects to the company. I mean, I literally have just been sat for the last six years thinking, we're being failed as women in healthcare and it's not okay. And how can we change that? And how can we change that, but also have the conversations about the lifestyle impacts that are so, so important. And so Naya is a company with five, we've co-founded um, five females who are going through menopause to a medical professionals to uh business women and then me i don't really know what my role is but like then then there's me pivotal if i know you it'll be pivotal pivotal thank you <laughs> um and essentially the the idea is that there's tons of free resources but then there's access to strength training classes mobility classes nutritional information mindset all of that's there we also have a school of menopause so the two medical advisors have created a, a like a, a like a a lesson you go through the different lessons so that when you go to wow. your doctor you know it you've got it you've got the the basic information we then have the option for women to have a full health assessment if they need it where they get a full comprehensive report and then if they're in Canada they will have access to a virtual clinic the current wait time in Canada to see a menopause specialist is about 18 months and we're trying to get rid of that wait time because you can't wait that long well, I will be sure to put links to all of that in the show notes so that everyone can find you easily. It sounds amazing. We're coming to the end now. I can't believe it because there's been so much to chat about and the time's gone really quickly. My last question is always the same, Amanda. What are your top two tips for women who are struggling with the impact of the menopause? So two things then. Firstly, knowledge. Knowledge, I say this all the time, like there's tons of resources out there. So be as informed as you can before you start having the conversation. Be prepared when you go to your doctor and be prepared when you need to advocate for yourself at work or in any circumstances. So knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And then the second thing is, is don't be afraid to try strength training. And the reason that I push strength training is because the um, sarco osteopenia, like the idea that our osteoporosis, the idea that our muscles and bones start to sort of degrade somewhat as we get older and accelerate through menopause can literally be turned around by strength training. And it's there's so many benefits to it and it doesn't have to be difficult to start. So, Everyone's a beginner at some stage when it comes to strength training. 
even I was, even Jackie is, it doesn't really matter where you start, but consider doing it. In my book, there's a 12-week program. And so it's maybe a good place to start if you're interested. But yeah, give it a go. You won't regret it. Fantastic. That's such great advice. And Amanda, it's been so much fun chatting to you. Thanks very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jackie. Take care. So how about that? Just chatting to Amanda has made me feel more energised and positive. Imagine how it would feel to work with her. If you'd like to find out more about Amanda and her work, check out the show notes on the podcast page of my website, well-well-well.co.uk, where I've put all the relevant links. And for more self-care, don't forget to pick up your copy of the Happy Menopause book which is full of all my best nutrition tips to help you navigate your menopause. It's available in all the usual places. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. I'd be so grateful. And do tell your friends and family about it too. It really does make a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show. After all, Every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.